Greetings to each one in Jesus' precious name. I know most of the faces here, so I don't feel like I have to give a lengthy introduction uh, from McDowell Congregation. My name is David Heatwall. My wife would have loved to be here, uh, but she stayed home with a child that was a little under the weather, and so that's the introduction I'll give to tonight, and if there's more people that don't know us, you can come up and I'll introduce the whole family to you, so it's getting to be more all the time. I don't know what you all expected when someone says revival or what you expected of me. And this evening, I'm keenly aware of my own inadequacy. And I didn't roll in here with a suitcase and open it up and I start handing out revival. I've never seen a preacher do that. I've never seen a preacher come and he also had a bunch of revival that he brought along with him. I mean, Highland County, McDowell Mennonite Church, it's a great church and it's alive and well, but... We didn't have a secret store of revival sitting over there, and I was going to bring it over in the back of the vehicle and just pass it out. But I'm also keenly aware of the power that's in Jesus Christ and the power in his Holy Spirit and the power to change and work through broken vessels such as myself and touch your heart and touch your minds. And I, as I went over some of the sermons that you've all listened to over the past year, and I look back through your podcast, there's been many revival messages preached. And all they had to done is give an altar call. And all you had to done is humble yourselves and, and come forward. And you could have been revived. And the other thing I thought, when we sang that song, Search Me, O God, if you sang it and meant it, I could go home. Because said all the right words. I surrender all these things. All the, the, the things that caused me shame in the past, they're under the blood, and I've been, now I'm on fire for God. And, and, and when you sang that song, you, you said all the right words. But isn't that what we do a lot of the time? We say all the right words, but then do our lives match what we're saying? Sometimes we, we say things, we, we look good on the outside, and then on the inside, it doesn't, the picture doesn't look so pretty. There's, there's some things that need change. And I thought the same way as Davey thought. Revivals come with a mixture of anticipation and, what's that other word? Trepidation? Yeah. And so some of you might be feeling trepidation. Where does that come from? Trepidation often comes from, well, I don't know that everything in my life is as it should be. That's where trepidation comes from. Uh, anticipation says, well, I'm interested to hear what he says, but what if the Spirit speaks to you? So what if, the, what if I say something? I'm, not gonna, I'm probably not going to say anything that you haven't heard before. I didn't come with, I'm looking at the same Bible you all read, and, and so I don't have some private interpretation that's been given to me, and I'm going to share some new thing, and then you're, oh, I never knew that. It's probably things you've known, and the Holy Spirit might reveal some things in your life and he says, I want you to change. I want you to do something a little different. I want you to do something a little more. I want you to do something a little better. So if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, then what are you going to do about it? Have you come this evening and said, if the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I'm going to sit right where I am. I'm not going up front. I'm not making any changes. I'm not doing what it might take. I'm actually, I'm not even going to think about if the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Have you ever come to revivals like that? In, in my past, I've shown up to revivals with that attitude. I didn't tell anyone. 
But I, I wasn't going to change anything because I, I didn't want to be looked at as, you know, someone that needed to change. Um, and so when I, when I was in that stage of my life, I looked at it with dread. I didn't like revivals. It, it wasn't something that I looked forward to. Often a revival speaker will show up and he'll have some great theme that he's going to use through the whole week. And I thought, what could my great theme be? And what just happened yesterday? Something significant happened? Did any of you all move your clocks? <laughs> my theme for this week is, wake up! <laughs> Sometimes we need to wake up. And, and so if I see you sleeping, I'm just going to yell that periodically through the service. And the, the thing is, our churches need to wake up. There's things happening, there's things going on, and we need to wake up. Have you ever noticed someone, a faithful Christian, who's been traveling down the narrow way and suddenly start to swerve off, and you see things in your life, and you say, you're going to crash. You're going to go to your demise. This is going to be to your destruction and the destruction of your family. And you just want to scream out and you want to say, wake up. It's not where you want to go. It's not, have you ever seen a youth going down a path that you know the end? You've been on that path for a while yourself and you just wish you could grab them and say, wake up. <laughs> I've been there. It doesn't bring fulfillment. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring happiness. It, bring, it brought me a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Wake up. And yet, I can't wake you up, <laughs> but the Spirit can. So I, have a, I even brought theme verses. Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. And I think if you don't have it memorized, we're going to memorize it. I'll say it the first time, and then you can say it with me. Ephesians 5, 14, or 5, 14 through 16 says this, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Should be familiar verses to us all, so let's say it together. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. As we go through this week, there's different people that I want to wake up. And, there's, and I didn't notice that at first, but as that theme came to me, uh, I guess you'll find out. This morning, I, or this evening, <laughs> I need to wake up. This evening, I think it's for all of us. Lord, teach us to pray. And it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place. This is in Luke 11, 1. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. The enemy that you face today is real. There's demonic forces at work in our churches, and we say, well, we don't see it. That, you know, these third world countries, you go over to Africa, you go to Liberia, you go to Haiti, and it's like you can feel the oppression. But these forces are alive and well, and they're working amongst us. Satan's forces are real. There's demonic forces at work trying to drag us down, trying to implant thoughts into our minds, and they're deceptive, and it's, it's light. It's not like we think of darkness, and they come as angels of light, 
in our midst. Because so often we don't even recognize the forces that we're facing. But they're all too real. And you don't see Satan, but you see all his marks that he's left behind. You see broken homes. You see youth doing things you wouldn't imagine they were doing. You see uh, old preachers <laughs> into things that you would have never imagined. Where does that come from? It comes from demonic forces working behind the scenes, working, and we're allowing them to work in our lives. And there was a time when the disciples went to cast out a demon, and they couldn't do anything about it. And, they, and after Jesus came and cast out the devil, the disciples pulled him aside and said, what did we do wrong? You know, we had so much power earlier. What did we do wrong? And he said, that, this one cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So is there power in prayer and fasting? I say there is. Sometimes prayer is something we enter into involuntarily. So something comes up and we just cry out. God, please help me. But more often than not, prayer is entered into in a more normal sort of way. We get up in the morning, we say a prayer. Thank you for the good night's rest. Or thank you that I feel as awake as I do because I didn't sleep well last night. You know, there, there's various things. Um, please be near me as I go through this day. Whatever it is, you, you have a prayer on your lips often when you wake up in the morning and, and you've come before God. And then you sit down for breakfast and, and you say a prayer for your food. You maybe pray for the family. And then the rest of your day revolves around praying for food and hardships. Is that how it goes for you? And then as you drive down the road, you say a prayer. And as you walk through your chickens, you say a prayer. And as you sell furniture, you say a prayer. And I don't know who else to pick. As you walk through your greenhouse, you say a prayer. And, um, you know, we're in, we're in the spirit of prayer. But when you examine your life, how much time do you spend in uninterrupted prayer? Uninterrupted by technology. Uninterrupted by your thoughts. You ever get interrupted by your thoughts? I'm not promoting thoughtless prayer this evening, but I get interrupted by my thoughts. And so I'll be praying. I find a time that I can pray, and so I'm praying, Dear God, you know, be near my lost neighbor man. Um, just, just um, I pray for his soul. And then I start thinking about his wood splitter. And then I start thinking, well, maybe I need wood for the winter. And then, I, you know, and then my mind wanders off, and soon I'm daydreaming about what I'm going to do tomorrow, and forgetting that I was praying a minute ago. Time alone with God. I think more likely than not, the vast majority of us don't spend nearly enough time alone with God. You think the churches would be in the state they are if each one of us would carve out a time of our day, would we lay everything aside, and just pray. Luke 6, 12, And it came to pass in those days that he went up into the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. When's the last time you continued all night in prayer to God? You know, I hear people say, well, I can't sleep. Well, why don't you pray? Well, every time I go to pray, I fall asleep. Wasn't that what you were after? You know? Luke 9, 28, And it came to pass, and about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. Jesus went to a certain spot to pray. He had a place that he wanted to go, and he made it a point to go and pray somewhere. 
How many of us? I pray all the time. I pray while I'm walking through the chickens. I pray when I'm driving down the road. But how many times do I go to that certain spot to pray? Do I have a certain spot where God's waiting to meet with me and I'm going to pray? Jesus had a certain spot and he took time to get there. You know, he went up to the mountains. I, I, I told our congregation, you're at an advantage. We live in the middle of the mountains. <laughs> Step out your door. You know, pick a spot in your backyard. You're already there. You're pretty close here. Drive up the road a few miles. You'll be in the mountains to pray. Jesus, he walked. <laughs> we have modern technology. We have advances of technology that are supposed to help us do things faster, right? And yet we have less time than we ever had. How often was God waiting for you and you never showed up? How many times was he waiting in that certain spot and that day you just got too busy and you didn't show up? Idleness is the devil's workshop and I think time is spent in prayer is the exact opposite. It tears his things apart. <laughs> it breaks down those walls. It gives us victory. It's so powerful. And the disciples watched Jesus and they said, I want what he has. I want to be like that. I wish I could pray like that. I wish I could have watched Jesus pray. Don't you? Don't you wish you could have watched him pray and then had him teach you how to pray? But we can still talk to him. And I pray that at times. I said, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray as I ought. You know, we, we say, well, you know, Jesus, he went to the certain place and he put a lot of effort into it, but that's who Jesus was. If Jesus needed to spend time alone with God, how much more do you and I need to spend time alone with God? A whole lot more. Well, Jesus then accepted the request. Let's turn to Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there's another one in Matthew, and he finishes it out, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever, amen. So what can we learn from this prayer? How often is it that you pray for God's kingdom to come? If you're a sinner here this evening, I doubt you pray that very often. <laughs> and if you do, you're a fool. Uh, why would you want Jesus to return while you're in your sin. You want that. <laughs> so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're admitting a certain amount that our lives are right with him, that our lives are right before him, and we want him to come and take us to his kingdom. How often do we start our prayers out with our own agenda? Do you have an agenda when you pray? Do you have things that you want God to answer for you, to bring to you, to give to you? You're your needs? <laughs> Do we realize who we're talking to? Is it just someone that's there to give us what we want? 
Or do we realize that he's an all-powerful God, an almighty, holy God, and we, we need to come before him in reverence? Do we realize that? How many minutes a day do you spend in undistracted prayer? Let's turn to Luke 18. Luke 18, starting at 10, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as this other man, the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful, merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, we don't say what the Pharisee said there. We don't uh, put it that bluntly. But do we ever say, God, you know, I feel pretty good. I feel like a pretty good person today. I, I you know, I've been doing good. I haven't sinned that much. I've achieved a level of holiness that I'm at least satisfied with. And, you know, maybe we don't say all that, but then we look at someone else, and in our subconscious, we're like, you know, that sin that I committed last week, it wasn't really that bad compared to the adulterers over here. Uh, and so God will probably wink at my sin. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever think God's just going to wink at your little sins? And we're praying to an almighty God that knows everything about us, and we often forget that. When we come before God, do we seek to bring him glory do we seek to praise him or do we seek our own agenda? If everyone prayed like you, where would your church be? That was a challenge for me. If everyone prayed like I prayed, where would my church be? Would it be a healthy church? Would it be a growing church? Would it be a church that's on fire for God? Would it be a pure church? There's so much power in prayer. It's like tapping into the main pipeline to God. And I believe that there's a lot of us that have it just barely cracked open and we're living off of fumes when we could get the whole dose. <laughs> there, there's so much power available to us and yet we find so little time to tap into that power. The phone rings. You're already late for work. Your alarm clock didn't ring on time. All these little distractions. And Satan just loves to bring them up. Um, I was, just, I was trying to think, there's, there's so many things in my life that, oh, there's just little distractions. I was just going to pray and someone calls or a kid, a child yells. And how many times do you think Satan has been dealt a blow and his plans have been completely thwarted when someone got on their knees and prayed? Someone somewhere cried out to God, maybe for someone else, maybe not even for themselves, and Satan was dealt uh, a severe blow. Satan knows the devastating effects of genuine, heartfelt, spirit-led prayer. And he hates it. And he'll go to any length to get you to not be committed to regular prayer time. And that's why I think there's so much distraction. It's not just happenstance that these things happen. I believe it's Satan working in our lives to distract us from the thing that brings as much damage to him as anything else we can do. And he does not want it to happen. He does not want us to spend time on our knees. 
And, and for sure, if we do it for a little bit, he doesn't want us to do it for long. When was the last time you entered your closet and you shut the door? You didn't take any technology with you. You turned off the phones. It was quiet. And you just sat there and listened for a little bit. You didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. You, didn't, you just sat there and, in, a, in a spirit of reverence. And you sat before God and you got some distractions out of your mind before you started to pray. Do we have time to do that? You know, we live in a fast-paced world. And Satan resisted that so much. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into my closet, maybe it's your office, and I'm just going to sit there for a little bit and I'm going to meditate. And then I'm going to commit time to, to pray. And so you get by the resistance of Satan. You finally overcome Satan, and the opportunity has come, and you sat in silence, and then you started praying, and then you start daydreaming. And Satan's like, well, that's not that bad, because he's already lost his focus. I'll let him do that a couple times. Chances are, if it directly went into daydreaming, that you probably didn't have that enjoyable of a time. But if you had a time of silence, and then you prayed before God, and you felt the power of God come into your life, and you felt renewed, then you're probably anticipating the next time that that can happen. And that's when Satan gets worried. That's when Satan says, there's something different about the way that man prayed this time. He was serious about it. He was committed. He, was, he went in there with a purpose, and that is what I do not like. And then he'll really start to resist you. I read a quote. When we sing, Satan laughs. When we preach, Satan mocks. When we pray, Satan trembles. And I believe that's true. Often Satan doesn't attack us directly because then we'd re we would recognize it. You know, that's Satan. He's, he's out to get me. He attacks us from the side. He attacks us from ways that we don't realize that it's even him. And that's what, the way he likes to keep it. But if we view simple distractions as the devil not wanting us to take time in prayer, I think we'd do much better at it. We've Americanized prayer. You ever known that? We made it quick and easy. Uh, dear God, thank you for this day. Uh, see you tomorrow. And, and we keep going. You can do it laying down, standing up, working, biking. You know, any way it comes, that's the way you can pray. If the only time you kneel is here at church... What does that say about your reverence of God? Every knee shall bow before him. Why not do it at home? Do your children know that it's still proper to kneel for prayer? Or do we just all sit around the table and pray now? In my family, for a while, you know, that's what we did. My dad taught me to kneel for prayer. Family devotions, after family devotions, we'd all get on our knees and pray. Does that still happen in our homes? I think it should. I think it really should. If we get away from kneeling in prayer, if, if you can just pray any way you want, a casualness to prayer, if we have a casual prayer life, we're going to have a casual spiritual life. We're going we're gonna to fall into temptations we never wanted to fall into. Matter of fact, I've started calling my generation the microwave generation. We want everything fast. We don't want to wait. We've been catered to relatively fast shipping until lately credit cards, the internet. If you want to know something, simply Google it. 
If you need to eat something, simply microwave it. If you need money, simply borrow it. There was never waiting for anything anymore. It used to be you didn't have money, then you worked for it, right? Now you borrow it. When we hear from God, and we don't know what to do. God didn't answer me. I prayed last night, and I woke up this morning, I still don't know what to do. What am I going to do? And, and I, I wonder if our youth don't struggle with this. Uh, terms like, wait upon the Lord. What does that mean? What if, wait upon the Lord, that doesn't make any sense. I need help now. I needed strength yesterday. Too many times we don't hear God because he didn't answer the way we intended him to answer. He said no, we are waiting for a yes, so therefore God didn't hear me. Have you ever done that? I've determined what I want God to, how I want God to answer my prayer ahead of time. I want that new house. So I want God to say yes to that new house. So that's how he's supposed to answer it, right? He's not supposed to say, wait a while. He's not supposed to say, whatever it is. I've determined what I want. He says, no, that wasn't the answer I wanted. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, then I have the ability to show myself strong. He's like, God, I don't like this weakness. I don't like feeling inadequate. I don't like feeling helpless. Do you like feeling helpless as a man? That's the last thing we like doing. God just let the trial come anyway. I pray that the, there wouldn't be any trials. And God just sends one trial after another. And I wasn't strong enough to handle it. And we missed the point. The trial wasn't for us to handle. The trial was for us to commit it into God's hand and let him handle it. Here the whole time I was trying to handle it. And God's like, that's not even what I was, that's not why the trial came. He wanted it. His desire was that we could say with Paul, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. About the time we start feeling self-sufficient, God comes along and takes away all that efficiency or self-sufficiency and says, you need me. And we do. How many of us gloried in our infirmities this last month? I struggled with my, <laughs> the infirmities of my family a little bit this last month. Luke 18.1. And it, you can turn there. It's just back. Well, you don't even have to turn, probably. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. If you're weary and you're fainting from fighting the battle, you're feeling faint, you're feeling exhausted, maybe you haven't prayed like you should. Uh, when I study, I was thinking about this, and, and I've, I've, I decided, well, let's figure out if it works. If you have a certain amount of material to write, and you're not writing it, but you're praying, that's taken away from writing time. <laughs> right? Uh, preachers would know this. And, and so I decided, well, I'll put God to the test in a good way. And I said, I'm going to commit more time to pray and see how my writing goes, even if I don't feel like I have time to pray. Well, what happens is when we have time to pray and we take time to pray, the Holy Spirit leads in a new way, and then the writing goes a whole lot quicker. So isn't that a blessing? So we think, imagine that in your everyday life. Well, I don't have time to pray. It's been a busy day. I don't have time to spend time alone with God. Imagine how much better your day would go if you spent more time praying. It would go a whole lot better. Things would work out a whole lot more like they should. Temptations would lose their power. 
Jesus loves persistent prayer. And I wanted to preface this, not like Balaam. You know what Balaam did? God said no. Balaam says, well, I really want that, so I'm going to ask God again. If God says no, and you know it, don't ask him again. Because chances are he said, well, go, go try it. See how it works out. That's what he said to Balaam. He said, okay, go with them, guys. And then their angel nearly killed them because of his own foolishness. If, God, if you're asking for something that the Bible already clear, clearly says do not do, it's, it's going to lead you to either apostasy or a, a nasty surprise. Don't do it. But if you don't have clear direction, there's nothing wrong with continuing to pray about it. And I especially think this is necessary for intercessory prayer. When we're praying for a lost soul or someone, one of our friends or relatives that we don't know where they are, I think persistent prayer tugs at God's heartstrings. Let's continue reading Luke 18, verse 2. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but at... But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? It's a good question. Will he find faith on the earth? Or will we be all doing our own thing and not praying as we ought? Now we know God is never weary or tired. Uh, Isaiah forty twenty eight. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no strength, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even though God isn't weary in the fact that he never tires out, I sometimes wonder if we don't weary him with our actions. In the Old Testament, several of the groups wearied him with their actions. Why, why don't uh, Brother Robert shared this? Why don't my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face? Then will I hear from heaven and answer them. Will not God avenge his own elect, which cry unto him day and night? says, yes, he will, and he'll do it speedily. So that's for the youth. But it also says, they that wait upon the Lord. God is never late, but I've never noticed him to be awful early either. He's right on time. He's right when it's needed. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but by everything, by prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known unto God. God doesn't mind hearing from you, and he wants to know what you're in need of. And he wants to know the desires of your heart. And he already does, but I think he wants you to come before him and admit that you're a needy person. Because it just shows him, well, it shows yourself where you're at, but it's a communication with God. He wants to talk to you. He wants to have that relationship. I was thinking about it. My wife, when we were dating, much to the chagrin of her parents, we talked for a really long time. <laughs> but we got to know each other really well. Do you spend a long time talking with God? 
He wants to get to know you. Give us this day our daily bread. Hmm. That doesn't even fit with us Americans, does it? We want a month's supply. Now that Ukraine's on, we want six months supply, right? Get the uh, Patriot food supply. 25 years in the pantry. It'll stay good. Is that what we're praying for? How many of us are satisfied with our daily bread? We want steak and shrimp. Do you ever face temptations? I face, I still face temptations, believe it or not. Some people say, well, when you're in the temptation, why don't you pray about it? I don't know how temptations work in your life, but temptations work in my life is when I want something that I should not have. That's a temptation, right? Or something comes up, and I kind of want it, but I know it's wrong. How much strength do you have in that moment to say, God, I don't really want it? If you do, you've come a long ways, and bless your heart. But wouldn't it be so much better if you prayed today to not lead you into temptation tomorrow and to give you strength to say no to that temptation tomorrow before it's even come up? That's where I find real power. And then you will have that power to pray that, God, I don't want that temptation. It's no longer something I want, something the devil brought into my life. I don't even want it anymore because I've prayed about it yesterday. I've prayed for a hate for sin. So if it's sin, I don't even want that thing anymore. So I'm talking about pre proactive temptation slaying. <laughs> Why not get, get on it a little early? Don't wait till you're in the middle of temptation to start praying. You better be praying about it yesterday. Pray for strength to endure temptations that you're going to face tomorrow. When they were in the garden before the crucifixion, Mark 14, 38, he said, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep, asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wits they what to answer him. Are your eyes heavy? Are you spiritually asleep? Wake up! No one was sleeping. At this year's conference, a brother from this church came up to me, and we were talking, and he put his arm around my shoulder. He said, Dave, could I pray, pray with you? I said, I would love that. And so right there in the middle of the uh, kitchen area, we had a little mini prayer meeting. And I went away with renewed strength and renewed courage, and I was blessed. Take, Jesus took his friends with him. He took his disciples with him to pray. How often do we have this? You know, how many times have you taken your buddies and went somewhere and prayed? We have basketball games. We have fishing trips. We have hunting trips. We have all these little things that we like to do with our buddies. What about prayer meetings? I've been blessed. We've, we've been taking some young men aside, and we'll go into the little room at church or somewhere, and we'll have a little prayer meeting. It gets me way more ahead than a basketball game. I love basketball. I love fishing. I love all these other things. But they don't renew my strength like a prayer meeting does, like a time alone with God and with a friend. My friend needs strength. I need strength. And when we're praying for one another, we can have strength. I have felt you all praying for me, and I appreciate it. 
and I thank you. I needed it. Is this happening in your church? Young people getting together and praying without the leaders instructing them to? I hope so. You need to be. Call up maybe just one of your friends. It doesn't have to be a bunch of you. Get together and pray. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto pray. prayer. Pray for one another. Paul did a really good job. Every church he started, when you read his letters, he says, I was praying for you that you wouldn't be tempted. I was praying for you that you'd have love one to another. I was praying for you that you'd be kept from the evil one. And he prayed for his churches that uh, he established. 1 Thessalonians 5.28, or 1 Thessalonians 5.25, about eight verses after we have the verse that says, pray without ceasing, Paul says, brethren, pray for us. Who is that? That was your ministers. I know your ministers here would say, pray for us, because they need it. We all need it. Another verse in 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I don't think us as men lead out as good as we should in prayer. And maybe it's just me. But I think our ladies excel a little bit better than us men at prayer. I've, I've, noticed, that, I've noticed that there's more prayer warriors on the ladies' side often than the men's side. And that's not across the board, but... My grandma, I stayed with my grandma for a couple years, and I could hear her out in the living room, and she would pray for each of us grandchildren by name, and she would cry out to God for us, and, and she would pray out loud, and it was such a blessing to hear. And, and she was an amazing prayer warrior. But it says here that men are to do this. Men ought everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. What hap- If you've been a dad for any amount of time, Who's the person you see lifting up hands most of the time? It's your child, right? I, I get it all the time. People are walking around my house like this. <laughs> and, yeah, my arms are full, you know. Uh, but it's, they're wanting attention. They're wanting comfort. They're wanting to be held. They're wanting security of knowing that dad is there for them. Do you want to be held in the arms of Jesus? Do you want to... Come to him and say, I'm needy. I'm in need. I want you. I love you. I'm, I'm here for you. And I'm not opposed to lifting up holy hands if they're holy. But I think more importantly than the act of raising our hands is the fact that they're holy. Is the fact that we're coming before God with our sins beneath the blood. That's what we need to be doing. Men with holy hands, that means your hands are pure. And ha- if you've been anything like I've been, it took a lot of blood to cover the sins and to wash the stains away so that these hands could be holy. It took forgiveness. It took repentance. It took forsaking of sin. When we have sin in our lives, we've taken a a different direction that God ever intended us to take. I believe the only prayer not affected by known sin is the prayer of the repentant sinner if you're praying if you if you want god to show you something that you're not sure about but you have sin in your life do you think god's going to show you the unknown when you're not even listening to the known i don't think so i don't think god's going to reveal something to you that you want to know 
if you're not already doing what you know to do, what's been plainly written here in Scripture for us. Psalm 66, 17. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There's many verses like this. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. There's so many people out here that don't have strength. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how to overcome sin, but they keep harboring sin all the time. They don't come before God and confess it and turn from their wicked ways. Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Don't keep his commandments. Even your prayer will be an abomination. Because he's saying, I've given you what you need to obey already. Why are you coming to me and asking me for things that you already know? So do you have a desire for revival this week? Do you know it started, true revival here started weeks ago. It started when Brother Daryl would put in his email, pray for Brother Dave, pray about upcoming revivals. That's when revival started. I don't have anything special to share with you. I don't have any profound words of wisdom that are going to bring revival. It started in your hearts. It started in you opening up your hearts to God and saying, I want revival. I heard a quote, and I tend to agree with it. Everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. <laughs> how true is that? We want to change the world, but how often do we want to change ourselves? We are a body and members one of another. If we want revival, we must allow it to begin in our own hearts. Not in your neighbor's heart, not in someone else's heart, but in your heart. If it changes in your heart, then your church is that much closer to being revived, right? If there's things, there's sin that you're harboring in your life, and you get it out, you've just added strength to your church. You've just added uh, more protection around the outside. Sometimes we tend to bring Satan right in with us, right? Keep them on the outside. Don't harbor sin within your heart. I'm going to give an invitation every night. I don't know what the Spirit does. I don't know how He works. Some people have come up to me and said, Dave, you were preaching right at me. And I had no intentions of preaching at that person. That wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this aspect of stepping on toes. There is a chance I might step on some toes. And that's a good sign, I think. Especially if it's the Bible stepping on your toes, that's an even better sign versus me. Because if you've ever been around a dead person and you stomp on their toes, they don't mind. <laughs> what a dead person needs is resuscitation. You better be stomping on their chest. But a dead per you know, a person that's like half alive and he gets his toes stepped on, at least he's thinking, right? He's like, hmm, I have to think about that. So if, if the Spirit's spoken to you this evening and you have sin in your life and I didn't even preach about it, guess what? Know what's easier than sitting through a whole week of revival meetings with sin in your life? Is standing up the first night and getting that sin out of your life and then, revive, then enjoying the rest of the meetings. 
So I'm going to give, let's have a verse of song. If you have something that you want to clear up in your life, if you want to reopen that avenue of prayer between you and God, where he's actually listening to you, I encourage you to come forward this evening.